I don't know how their live stream, there it is, there, that one's on. So um, welcome, glad that you are here. You just happened to tune in right there, must have been a blip. Um, and those that will listen later on with uh, the CD, the DVD, however you uh, participate, we want to welcome you and thank you for being a part of uh, the Greater JFC family. I've got two quick housekeeping announcements that I need to do before we jump into the message, and then we got a message with a lot of information, so we, we need to get right after it. Uh, the first thing that I, that I need to announce, I lost a bet, so I have to make this announcement. Here was the bet. Uh, Dan DeMay got a hole-in-one this last Wednesday. If you don't know who Dan is, Dan is uh, sort of my number two guy and runs the day-to-day operation here, and here was the bet. Um, I have to tell you that Dan is a better golfer than I am. Um, <laughs> But because he made me do this, he's not a better man than I am. So there's, 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 the, there's the one. All right, here's the really fun one and the one that's worthy of your time. Our own Terry and Brenda Hilgers. Terry made the announcements uh, uh, for the portion and, and talked about the offering. Uh, Terry and Brenda celebrate their 40th anniversary this week. And we want to hold that up as a worthy, worthy issue. They're sitting in the back right now. He's raising his hand up. You know that this couple, our church is a better church because these folks are here. Uh, they really are all about the connection to the church. Terry's actually um, working with me and moving into a whole new position, which is really the connection pastor. If, if I were to give away what I felt like the next 15 needs to happen for us, I think that we've built a good church, but the one area we haven't done well on is connecting people. We really want to see people get connected inside of our church, not just come here a message and go away, but really connected and discipleship. And that's really Terry and Brenda's job. And um, to be able to celebrate with them their 40th anniversary first, it's a great accomplishment. Second, they have a marriage that's worthy of our church looking at and saying that's how it's supposed to be done. And third, he's one of my best friends in the world. He's kept me from going crazy many times. Uh, sits on my porch with me every Tuesday morning at seven in the morning and lets me just unload all of my thoughts and all of my stuff. And instead of him freaking out because the pastor is freaking out, he's able to handle that and bring stability back to my life. And I owe him so much. He's such a dear and precious friend. They get a week in Hawaii next week that uh, they're able to go spend. How many of you think if you're married 40 years, you go to Hawaii, huh? Yeah. So when you see them, let them know how much you love them. Their children are in town this week for the celebration. It's just great to have them all here. And again, Terry and Brenda, thank you. Jubilee is a better place because you guys help pastor here. Okay, folks, grab your notes. Um, if you look down uh, below the intro in the note, right, right to it, let's, let's jump into it. Here's what we're doing. We're in a, a, a very small series on the nation of Israel. Uh, next week, we will move into a whole new series. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that two weeks, honestly, really does justice to, to talking about Israel, to talking about where the church should line up with Israel and why you should be for Israel and what God has to say about it. But um, here, here's the deal. We will leave in uh, about a month for our next trip to Israel. This will be our 10th trip to Israel. Um, adding up the number of people now, this, this is going to be close to where we're getting upwards of eight or 900 people now that we've taken to Israel with us. Our hope is that at some point we would take our whole church will have gone to Israel. If you're a believer, you should go at least one time in your life so that you see it for yourself. Not just so that you see the land, but you'll read your Bible completely different than you read it right now. Believe it or not, you're reading it in black and white. You'll go. It'll be in living color, high definition forevermore after that. You'll actually, when you read it, you'll, you'll remember what you saw and what it looked like. And I, I can't, for, that alone is worth the trip. But then there's the spiritual part of it and, and what God does in your heart and how, how the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament come alive with how he fulfills his covenant to the, all the nations through the Jews. And it's just, it's a wonderful trip. So we, we will um, 
I, I talked last week, we'll be receiving an offering for the nation this week. We take all the money there. When I say the nation, somebody asked me, do you give it to the government of Israel? No. It is for the missionaries that we support there, the churches that we support there. Uh, there are all sorts of, of different projects that we are involved in in Israel. Uh, some are humanitarian, some are uh, churches, some are um, bomb shelters that are, that are built when, whenever they go through the raids and you know, where the, the people have a chance to go to. We do all sorts of things over there. So if you want to be a part of that, at the end of it, I'll tell you how you can, you can do that. So let's, let's just jump right in. Here's where I would go today. Last week we talked about uh, why Israel. Today we're going to talk about what will happen in Israel. And maybe the most debatable issue in our modern times is whose land is it? And here's where the conclusion is that in our society, doesn't it belong to both. Well, here's where I want to take you today on this issue. I don't want the Denver Post to decide this for you. I don't want CNN to decide this for you. I don't even want Pastor John to decide this for you. I'm going to tell you what God says, and I want you to do this. If you're a believer, line up where God lines up. Okay. Now, maybe as, as a, maybe as a believer, you've had a church that lined up in another place. One of the teachings that's out there today is this, that God did have a covenant with Israel, but Israel rejected God, so God replaced then Israel with the church, and we become, it's called replacement theology. He replaced Israel with the church. That is completely false. It is wrong. You can't find it in the Bible. It, uh, I heard people teach it, but they can't back it up in Scripture. Now, last week I showed from Scripture where God says they haven't stumbled so far as to not be brought back in. And that's what God will do. We'll talk a little more about that today. But really, maybe the most debatable issue out there right now is whose land is it? I, we've got a guy that from our church uh, just returned from Israel. And he gets back, he's actually heard me teach on this for years and years and years. He gets back from Israel and he said, John, uh, don't you think the land belongs to the Palestinians because they were there first? I said, who told you that? He said, it was a Palestinian. I said, of course, of course, that's right, gotcha. I said, you need to do a little more study than that. Let's don't go back 50, 60, 70, 80, or 100 years. How about, let's go back 3,500 years. So we're going to talk about who was there first. You really want to know who was there first? The Philistines were there first. Who were the Philistines? Remember Goliath? He was a Philistine. God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. We'll talk about him in just a second. Abraham is the father of both the Jews and the Arab nations. Abraham is the patriarch of our faith as Christians. Abraham is a significant character in the Bible. Abraham plays a role in what we're going to talk about today. But um, Abraham was called upon by God to leave the Ur of the Chaldees, which would have been somewhere in Iraq. Follow him out of there, and this was God's promise. I will be your God, you'll be my people. I'm going to take you to a land and give it to you as an inheritance. It'll be part of a covenant that I make with you, and I will give it to your descendants after you forever. And I'll read the scripture here in just a second. So we go back 3,500 years. Here was God's deal with Abraham. I'll give you this land, but you're going to have to fight for it. There's a people group in it who are ruthless. They are unbelievable, and you're going to have to fight for it. Every place you put your foot, I'll give to you, but you've got to put your foot there. You've got to go in. And they had to go in and they had to fight with that people group at the time. Now, when Yasser Arafat was alive, the chairman of the PLO, he, he said this. He said the Palestinian people are the direct descendants. The direct descendants from the race that existed there 3,500 years ago. But that is absolutely an unprovable issue. Here's what's provable. The Palestinians are Arab nations who are refugees from wars over the past 60 and 70 years. They ended up in Israel, 
And there have always been a certain level of Arab people in Israel, and there have always been a certain number of Jews in Israel. But if you want to go to who had the land first, it really was the Philistines, given then by God to Israel. Israel routed the Philistines out of it, and the land belonged to Israel long before any nation ever called Palestine ended up there. So where do you get this from, John? How do you prove that? Where do you pull these scriptures from? Again, I don't want to convince you. Let's let the Bible speak for itself. Genesis chapter 17, 19 through 21 begins this way. Then God said, that gives us context right there. Who said it? So then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah, Abraham was married to Sarah. Your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him, what's his name? This is important, folks. I want you to remember this. These two names are going to be important. I want, you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an, what's that word? Everlasting. Covenant. All right, let me just stop and comment. Everlasting to us in America, 200, 250 years. <laughs> Go to Europe, 1,000, maybe 2,000 years. Go in world history, eh, maybe you go back five, 6,000 years in, in, in modern world history. Do you agree with that statement right there? So everlasting to us still is going to have, even if you put thousands on it. It's not, here, here's God's perspective. Without beginning and without end, would you agree with me that he has a different perspective when he says everlasting? It's like the finite crashing into the infinite. At some level, we have a beginning and an end. So when we think of everlasting, well, how about this? How many of you have made a promise and broke it? And the rest of you that did not raise your hands are lying. <laughs> Right now, you know you've done it. We've all, we've all broken promises. Here's the deal, though. When God makes a promise, he doesn't break his promise. God cannot lie. God is not a man that he could lie. When God says something is eternal, he means eternal. All right, so God makes a covenant with Abraham. Part of the covenant is I'm going to give you a son named Isaac, and I will establish an everlasting covenant. How long is everlasting to God? Do you agree with that statement? Everlasting. Okay. All right. Let's move on then. So I will, I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for, what's that word? Okay. Ishmael was also Abraham's son. I'll tell Ishmael's story here. Um, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him, I will make him into a great nation. This sentence, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. So God comes to Abraham, says, come out from amongst this people group. Follow me. I will be your God. You'll be my people. I will give you this land as inheritance. I will give you a child. And through this child, you're going to have more children. If you can count the number of stars in the sky, it won't come close to the number of children you're going to have in the generations to come. And if you can count the number of sand on the seashore, it won't come near the number of children you're going to have in the generations to come. And I'm going to do this through Isaac. Now, here's what Abraham and Sarah did. They got a promise from God, but God didn't fulfill it on their time schedule. So they decided to help God out by taking matters into their own hands. So let's stop with lesson number one and say this. If God gives you a promise, never help him do anything with his promise. You will mess it up. You will do it in the flesh, not in the spirit, and you will live with what you did in the flesh. Here was their plan. Sarah was past childbearing years. She did not understand that if God said it, he can do a miracle. She thought we need to help God, so she had a handmaiden named Hagar. Here was her plan. Every woman in this room, tell me if you think this is a good plan. <laughs> she told her handmaiden, here's what I want you to do. I, I'm going to give you to my husband. I want you to sleep with him. I want you to get pregnant. 
and then we're going to take that child, and that's how we're going to fulfill God's word to us. Does anybody see a crash coming in nine months? <laughs> Jealousy under any, anything like that at all? Does, does, that, does that seem like in your mind, that's a good plan? Never help God. God can do it all by himself. He does not need you. So they have a child. His name is Ishmael, and Abraham loves his son, Ishmael. Proven fact. Acknowledged fact and held true today. The Arab nation's line and lineage, Abraham is their patriarch, but it came through Ishmael. Isaac is the patriarch or the covenant bearer to the Jew. God said, I will bless Ishmael, but my covenant is with Isaac through the Jewish nation. Do you hear that? Did you see that? So today when it's claimed, who's the covenant with? God made it clear. God made his covenant with the Jewish people. He made it with Isaac. Now, Ishmael is important, but Ishmael did not have the covenant. Now, some of you would sit here and go, well, that's not fair. Let's, let's talk about fair for just a second. Have you ever said to God, give me what I have coming? How many of you, how many of you are glad you don't get what you have coming? Oh, now, here's God's idea of fair. Jesus got what we deserved, and we got what Jesus deserved. That ain't fair, but I'll take the deal all day long. So if we're going to debate fair, let's debate it the way God does it. God has his plan and his purpose in the earth. He's not excluding people groups. He actually said, through this nation, I'll bless all the nations of the earth, but my plan is to do it this way. Does he have the right to do it his way? So even if we live in a day where everybody else disagrees with that, and fights over that, and scraps over that, and doesn't understand it, God is still God. You recognize God doesn't get up and go, oh, the church doesn't agree. Oh, they're divesting. Oh, guys, this is the way it is. I don't know what, I'm, this is my last service and I'm tired. So if I... <laughs> Would you like to know some random thoughts I had this week? It's the last service. Can I just have a little fun here? Here's a random thought. Number one, do vegetarians really love animals more than I do? If you don't get that, ask on the way home. <laughs> Why do stay-at-home moms never stay home? <laughs> They're always running a taxi service, aren't they? Here's another one. This came to me in the shower. If you remember the stuff you forget, you really don't have Alzheimer's. And the last one, just a random thought. If you think you're crazy, you're really not, because crazy people don't know they're crazy. There you go. All right. Now you see why people are begging me to write a book. All right. <laughs> the conflict. Here's what we're dealing with today. There's always a conflict. Would you, would you not agree with me that every time it looks like there's going to be some kind of a peace deal brokered over there, it always just suddenly blows up, and it's a little worse than it was before it started? Let's back up a year and a half. The Arab Spring just happened. It was supposed to be a complete reset in the Arab world, wasn't it? A new beginning, a fresh start. It was all going to be democratic. It was, yes or no, a year and a half later, we're worse off than we were. So Egypt is on the brink right now of civil war. How many? 600 people were killed this past week. Syria, where's Syria at? Civil war. Lebanon, the pawn used completely by Iran to funnel its 
ammunition into all these places because here's their idea. If we can create a jihad and blow up the world, then we'll get our God to come back. They're, they're totally gung-ho for that. So it's exactly what they're aiming at. You've got a place that has become incredibly unstable, and I would say to you here, and I'll teach this as you say, but I'll show you. It's really a question for which there are no answers, and every time we try to answer it, we injure ourselves by doing so. There's a scripture where God says, I will make Israel a cup of reeling for the nations, and those who try to move my nations will do so and injure themselves. On the paper this week, both the Denver Post and the Wall Street Journal, two opposing articles. On the left side of the page, 600 people killed in Egyptian violence this week. Right-hand side, U.S. pulling hard to get Israel and the Palestinians to the bargaining table, land for peace. Every time I see the land for peace issue, there's violence in some part of the world that's horrible. I just wonder how many times we injure ourselves doing what God said not to do. And here's the thought. Most of the people in the church don't even know that God said those things. I'm teaching things that people who have walked with God for 30 years have never heard before. I had to make up my mind when I taught this. Here's my deal. I, I want you to like me, and I want to like you. But then I've got this little funny thing going on that I can't be a man of God if you like me and I don't do what he tells me to do. So I had to make up my mind, I'm going to please you whether you like it or not. Do you hear me? So if I'm teaching stuff where you go, well, I just disagree with that. Well, how about this? What does the Bible say? Not what did the Corrupt News Network have to say. Thank you. I hear you out there. There were two people, a man over here and a woman over here. Got all the sexes, so I'm, I'm in. All right. All right, so the conflict, three reasons why. Let me give you three quick reasons why there's a conflict there and why there will continue to be until the Lord returns with one exception. There will be an individual that rises on the scene who will appear to be in all pretenses a miraculous person who can bring peace to the world. But he is not whom he seems to be. I'll talk about it here in a second. So let me give you three reasons why the conflict's going on in the Middle East. Number one is the difference between covenant and contract. Ishmael and Isaac, Genesis 16, 11 through 12, the angel of the Lord also said to her, Hagar, this is Ishmael's mother, you are now with child, you will have a son, you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. This is prophetic. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Here's a thought. If God says that the Arab will live in hostility with his brothers, the Jew, how many of you think we have an answer for it if God has prophesied it's going to happen? So we think we're smarter than God. We'll just go over there and fix it, and here's how we'll fix it. We'll get them to give away land for peace. Let me give you a quick understanding of what kind of land we're dealing with. If you took all the Arab nations, put them all together, and gave it a land mass, it would be as big as the United States. Israel would have a landmass the size of a football field in comparison. And yet, what is up for grabs? The football field. Yes or no? So, and, then here, and then here's another truism. We're talking about giving away land for peace. The land doesn't actually belong to Israel. It's actually God's inheritance to that name. It belongs to God, ultimately. They don't have even the right to give the land away. And if you stand on the side, well, give land up for peace, you're on the wrong side of the issue. Never be afraid to be in a controversial issue as long as you're on the right side of the issue. Yes. 
How do you know what side to be on? Be on God's side. When he comes back, it'll pay off big time. All right, now, thank you for that polite chuckle. Let, so there is the covenant versus the contract. God gave a covenant to Isaac, but he also blessed Ishmael. But he prophesied, here's who Ishmael's going to be in the last days. Let me ask you a question. After 2001, would you not agree with me after 9-11 that every man's hand is against him and his hand is against every man? That's the day we live in now, yes or no? So it may be politically incorrect to say it, but it's very true. It's prophetic that's being fulfilled in our day and in our age. Written 2,500 years ago, 3,500 years ago. I put as a note on there, real peace and order will not happen until the return of Jesus. Now, this is a Christmas scripture that we normally read during Christmas. But it's actually a prophetic scripture about what Jesus is going to do when he returns to the earth. It's Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. This part becomes prophetic. The government will rest upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Listen to me. Part of the reason God prophesied that they are going to be in hostility towards each other is that it's not supposed to be fixed until Jesus returns and the government rests upon his shoulders and he makes equity for all peoples. He's not just in favor of the Jews. He's also in favor of the Arabs, but he's in favor of Americans and he's in favor of Europeans. He's in favor of all people. But his covenant comes through the nation of Israel and we come into his blessing by understanding those things. So this is not an anti-Arab message or an anti-any other message. It's, here's God saying, I will order, what a day it will be when he's the Lord over the whole earth. How about traveling to any nation without any animosity whatsoever? How about no religions separating any people groups? John Lennon sung about it, but from the wrong side of the issue. For those who remember. If you go, who's John Lennon? You may not make it in this church. Number two. You'll make it. Number two, three reasons why the, why the conflict. The covenant versus the contract. I, I, I'm going to keep moving. Two, a tool to judge the nations. Joel is an Old Testament prophet who most of Joel's writings weren't for the time that he wrote them in. Therefore, today, they were prophetic scriptures about the day of the Lord and end-time events. Joel chapter 3, 1 through 3, this is what Joel writes. In those days... So he's not even talking about the days he's living in. He's talking about future days, those days. In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Where's the Valley of Jehoshaphat? When I started the message, I stood in the Jezreel Valley or Megiddo or the Valley of Jehoshaphat. They're all the same thing. God is going to bring all the nations of the earth to this valley to enter into judgment against them. For what reason? Every nation, every world power that has ever risen to world dominance persecuted the Jews. It started with the Egyptians, with the Assyrians, the Babylonians. It went with the Greeks, to the Romans. Every major world power has done it. God is saying, I will enter into the fight myself on behalf of this nation. I'm going to read the rest of the scripture, what he's angry about. He's angry that the people have been divided up. 
He's angry that they've been driven from their land. And look at this part of the scripture right here, which should speak to the end of the land issue once and for all. It is just so clear. I will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people amongst the nation. They divided up my What is God upset about? That the people were driven from it and that the land is being divided up. Next time you enter into that conflict and somebody says to you they ought to give up their land, you need to open your mouth and say, absolutely not. You know, if you're on God's side, do what the Bible says. Man, I sound like an old Baptist. God, really? I have to wear a suit and a tie next week. <laughs> there I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel, for they scattered my people amongst the nation and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people, traded boys for prostitutes, sold the girls for wine that they might drink. Ezekiel 39. Ezekiel was also an Old Testament prophet who prophesied about future events. In 39, 21 through 22, he speaks of the same day and the same time, and this is how his viewpoint is. I will display my glory among the nations, and all the nations will see the punishment that I inflict on the hand that I lay upon them. From that day forward, the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. Now, here's my question. If God brings all these nations down into this valley, and he himself enters into judgment against them, then it says, from that day forward, the entire nation of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. What would make it... Here's Israel today. You've got the ultra-Orthodox, the black hats... You know what I'm talking about? Then you've got the Orthodox who are just observant, but they are in complete disagreement with the ultra-Orthodox. Then you've got the secular who have nothing to do with religion whatsoever. Then you've got Jews who literally come from all over the world making Aliyah back to Israel. It looks like Ellis Island in America in 1900. You've got Ethiopian Jews who are coming. You've got Russian Jews who are coming. You've got American Jews who are going. And they're all coming from different places in life, and they all come together. And here's, here's the point. Get them all together, and they can't agree on anything. <laughs> Look how they put their parliament together. They have to make deals in back rooms holding things together because none of them can agree. How in the world could you get them all to agree that God is the Lord? Here's my thesis on it. If God himself showed up and entered into the battle, it would be irrefutable. Last time I was in Israel, CNN ran a commercial. They meant it tongue-in-cheek, but they don't know how accurate they were. This is what the reporter said in a commercial for CNN. He said, if a prophet ascends or a savior returns, we will be here to report it live so the whole world can see it. hundred years ago, it would have been impossible for the whole earth to have known it. I mean, it would take two weeks for it to get around the world that Jesus came back. <laughs> but now you could see it live 24-7, couldn't you? We live in a day where the Bible prof... In one day, this happens? One day? I mean, if you take it literally, it was impossible up until just a few years ago. Does it start putting context with days and times and places and events that we live within? I will display my glory amongst the nations and all the nations will see the punishment that I inflict, the hand that I lay upon them from that day forward. The house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. He brings them all into agreement because it's irrefutable when he shows up. You can argue with a preacher, you can argue with theology, you can argue with a newspaper, but you can't argue with a fact. If God shows up, that settles the issue, yes or no. How about this? The last reason that the conflict is going on there 
There's the difference between Ishmael and Isaac, the covenant and the contract. Number two, a tool to judge the nations. Number three, it sets up a person called the Antichrist. Now, uh, if you are maybe visiting today, it's not, you're just like, man, you know, my neighbor invited me, and I come to this? Good. <laughs> so what would I tell you? Come back next week. I'll be talking about the next 15 years in vision and those kind of things. Okay, here's... Here's, here's where we are today, though. It sets up the Antichrist. So probably, you're, 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 if, if, if you don't read the Bible, you don't know any things, you, you probably, the only, the only thing you've ever heard about the Antichrist is, is through, you know, an exorcist movie or something like that. What a, don't let Hollywood define for you what God says. All right, so Daniel, Daniel was a man in the Old Testament. He lived at a time when Babylon, which was the most powerful nation on the earth, came to Jerusalem, knocked the temple down, knocked the walls down, killed almost all of the people, and took prisoner the best of the best in order to assimilate them into the Babylonian kingdom. Babylon was a, an occultic nation who worshipped unbelievable wicked things. It was probably the... Um, while, while they had a lot of wisdom in certain things, they were a very wicked, wicked nation. Child sacrifice, uh, a, a number of different things. Daniel is brought into this nation, and he rises up to become the prime minister. Here's what I would speak to you. Even in the midst of a nation that doesn't recognize God, God can still bring his people in to do what he wants to do. So Daniel is brought into this situation, and while he is in Babylon, the angel of the Lord visits him and gives him a vision. And it is so awesome and so fearful that Daniel can't get up off the ground for three days. Now, I don't know about you, but when's the last time you went to church and you couldn't get up for three days? I mean, the only one that can say that is I caught the flu when I was at church and I was down for three days. Wouldn't it be awesome if the power of God was actually so rich in a church that it wrecked you? It knocked you off your feet, that you could never be the same again. That it gave you a vision for your life that you could never get away from. That it totally encapsulated that what you're doing for your living, God uses that now for totally His purpose. You don't have to become a preacher to be used by God. You can do whatever you're doing to be totally used by God. If God will just speak to you, this is your purpose in life. Yes. Would you like that? Would you want that? So Daniel has this experience with God where he's literally laid out and God speaks to him about future events. Not for that day and time, but for future events. One of the things that Daniel wrote in the book of Daniel was that many of these things are sealed up until the end days. They won't even be understood until the end times. One of those scriptures is found in Daniel chapter 9, 27. And Daniel begins this way. He, he's speaking of the Antichrist will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Speaking of seven years. Then he writes, in the middle of the seven, what's half of seven? So three and a half years into a seven-year peace accord, the Antichrist reveals himself. Now I want, to, I want you to pay attention to something. This is really important. He is going to come on the scene not as the devil. He will be charismatic, he will be exceptionally good with words. He will unite two and three and four party systems to come together. Government will work like it's never worked before. And not just in the United States, worldwide he will have an influence. 
He will be able to do miraculous things so that it will appear as though he were God himself. And this is what the Bible says. The very elect of God would be fooled if God doesn't shorten the days to stop it. How could that happen? I'm going to tell you how. If you're trying to figure this all out with your head, you will never be faster than the devil. Your protection is not your ability. I spot him. I know who he is. You will not be able to spot him that way. He will appear to you to be God. And many in the church, the Bible says, will turn away. What is your protection? Your protection is to be led by the Holy Spirit and be obedient to God right now. If you can't get on the side of what God is saying when it comes to the nation of Israel, you think you'll change your mind when somebody comes along who is intentionally deceptive? Did you just hear what I said? Look, God doesn't need fans. He needs disciples. There are people here today, you applaud me and you nod at me politely. I had a man ask me not that long ago, can you recommend a church where it doesn't, where they don't require me to be too involved because at some point in my life, I want to run for governor and I've got to be connected to a church. What do you think will happen to that man if he ever has to stand for his faith? What do you think he'll do? He will deny Christ and walk away because he's got nothing in the game. Maybe you're like me, though. Almost 30 years ago, I sailed one way and burned all the ships. There was no way back. I made a stand and a statement. As long as I'm pastor, by the way, this is how we will feel about Israel in this church. I will stand for this, whether you agree with me or not. Because it's not a people issue or a popularity issue. It's a God issue. It's a God issue. Now listen, wait, 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 wait. Listen, this is really important. If we're not obedient... When it comes to the things that God is telling us now, what makes you think when days get difficult that you'll suddenly be, it's in the little things that the big things happen. Do you agree with that statement? We always think when the big thing happens, the way you live now is the way you'll live then. Change it now. Change it now. It's a completely different message, isn't it? Good grief. It's the fourth time I've taught it, and it's a completely different message. He will confirm a covenant with many for seven years. In the middle of the seven, three and a half years in, he will put an end to the sacrifice and the offering. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end is decreed, that is decreed, is poured out on him. Um, this scripture is telling us this. This guy is so good that he's able to broker a peace deal with the nation of Israel and all the Arab nations around it. And he actually reestablishes the temple in Israel and the sacrificial system. But three and a half years into it, he puts a stop to it, and then he puts himself as God in the temple to be worshipped. And Daniel calls it the abomination that causes desolation. Now let me zoom you forward into the future. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus walks outside of the temple and he tells his disciples in the very first two verses, do you see these stones that make up this temple? Not one stone will be left upon itself before I return. Then the disciples come to him privately on the Mount of Olives and say to him, what will be the sign of your coming and the events that will unfold before you get here? And all of Matthew 24 then is a discourse by Christ himself on what the, end, what the earth will look like, what the people will be doing, what will be happening. Read it for yourself. But in the middle of Matthew 24, this is what Jesus says. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, quoting Daniel, run for the hills. What was the abomination that causes desolation? When this guy sets himself up as God to be worshipped, 
Many people will worship him because he will appear to be God. Your safety will not be in your eyes or your brain figuring out. It will be in your heart right now, listening to God and knowing that is not God and I cannot go that way. It will not be popular. It will not be easy. Listen to me. Right now, right now to call yourself a Christian costs you nothing. But it is not the first or last time in history that to be a Christian could cost you your life. And there are many places in this world today where to claim the name of Christ costs you everything you have, including your life. There was a time in Jesus' ministry when hundreds of people were following him around, calling themselves his disciples. Jesus turned to him and said this, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And this is some of the saddest scripture recorded. Many turned away and no longer followed him. And Jesus turned to the twelve and he said, Are you going to go with them too? And Peter spoke up and said, Where would we go? And what would we go back to? And I ask you that right now. If you'd go back to the world, go. I don't mean it ugly. I don't mean it flippant. But if the world is, go. But if you sailed one way, then why don't you drive your stake in the ground, hold on to Christ, and for better or worse, place yourself in His hand and say, I am a believer and I will stand for everything that God says. Stand today. Make up your mind today. Get a backbone. Don't be part of a culture that just pushes you around and says everything and intimidates you. Listen, you don't need to be this moral majority thing where we, we go and we pick up the sword. Pick up your cross. He never said pick up a sword and go kill people. Pick up your cross and die to yourself. Live for Him. Jesse sings this song today. Doesn't even know what we're preaching. He just comes in as a guest worship. Get my eyes off of me and onto you. How did Western Christianity become a self-help thing where God's all, bless me, help me, change me, make me happy? How about this? God, how do I make you happy? How do I bless you? How do I serve you? How does my life fit into the kingdom? Not how does the kingdom fit into my life? Coming back next week? Here, I'll look at my family. Are you going with them? Where would you go to? We live together. <laughs> let, let, let's keep moving with this so I can finish it up. So, so the ultimate outcome of all of this stuff will be what, Pastor? All right, let me give you three quick things on this. Number one, the return of Jesus to this earth. Zechariah is another Old Testament prophet who wrote about prophetic events not in his day, but in days to come. Zechariah is actually one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. If you want to read about the nation of Israel in the last days, this is a great book to read about. Zechariah 14, verse 1, this is what Zechariah writes. A day of the Lord is coming. So it's not then, but it's coming. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided amongst you. He's talking about the nations that are brought down into that valley. In verse 3 through 5, he continues on with the discourse. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. What's he talking about? God will return to this earth. I'll let you make up your mind. Will he return at Washington, D.C. or the Mount of Olives in Israel? Where does it say? One of my favorite places to take our people to is the Mount of Olives because we can stand right there, look back at the eastern gate, which is the gate Jesus will go through, the king's gate. The beautiful gate, it's called. Jesus comes back to the Mount of Olives, down through the Kidron Valley, up through that gate, into the temple and sits on the throne as king of kings and lord of lords forever. What a day that'll be, man. You think, oh, I'll slap high five with Jesus. No, you won't. You'll fall on your face and wait for him to touch you to get you up. <laughs> Trust me, it will be a fearsome day. 
Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split into two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the valley, half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Who are the holy ones with God? When he comes, well, it's a debatable issue. Some people say it's angels, and some people say it's the church. Some people believe that the church is pulled out before these events happen. So it could be the church comes back with God. Here's another one. It could be the angels and the church come back with God. Don't know. So here's how you have to prepare. Live your life like Jesus could come back tomorrow, but plan like it may not happen while you're alive. Did you hear me? There was a people group that Paul had to deal with in his day who got the message that the Lord was going to return, and they interpreted it to be in their lifetime. So they all quit their jobs, moved into a cave, and waited for Jesus to return. That is not what Jesus told us to do. Here's what he said, occupy until I return. Be about my Father's business. Get in there, mix it up. Jesus said this, will I find faith when I return? How about the answer is, yes, you will. I will believe. Will you? A little bit of a challenging message, huh? If you want to debate these issues, Pastor Marcus Pillar is going to stay here till 10 o'clock tonight, right here. <laughs> Answer any and all questions you have about the return of Jesus and anything else that you want to ask him. I'll be home sleeping. Here's, here's where we'll go then. So it will be the return of Jesus to the earth. The ultimate outcome, number two, will be the salvation of the Jew. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Look at this. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. Folks, look at this prophecy and look how it's written. This is a thousand years before Jesus was ever in the flesh on the earth. They will look on me, the one that they have, what? Was Jesus pierced? Here's the prophecy that's being said before Christ ever appeared in the flesh. He's God incarnate. He was all God but all man. This is before Jesus is in the flesh on the earth, a thousand years. It's, pre it's predicted and prophesied that at some point, the nation of Israel, when they see him, when he returns, they will look upon the one that they pierced. It even predicts how he'll be killed. They will look upon the one that they pierced. Look at this. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. In chapter 13, verse 1, God continues, On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sin and impurity. Jesus returns. Israel sees him, recognizes that he was Messiah and that they pierced him. They mourn, which is repentance. God forgives them of their sin. And in one day, the entire Jewish nation... How about this? In one moment, the entire Jewish nation comes into the kingdom of God. Because here's my question to you. If you're suddenly confronted with the fact that you were wrong, how long does it take to make up your mind about something else? If you're smart, a moment. If you're ignorant, it takes years. If you're stubborn, it can take a lifetime. But if you're smart, if you're confronted with irrefutable proof about something, like Jesus showed up, would that not solidify all beliefs that we were wrong? It wasn't Buddha. It wasn't Muhammad. And it wasn't some great 
nebular power that existed in a quadrant known as the Milky Way. <laughs> he was God. And he was real. And we see and we repent and God opens up a way for them to come into the kingdom instantly. All right, now, now it gets even better than that. God will reveal himself to all nations on that day. Zechariah 14, 9. Look at this. The Lord will be king over, what does it say? Is it not up there? Come on, people in the back. Come on. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. Okay, I'm going to submit to you this thought. How in the world, if you've got, just in the nation of Israel, so many disagreements. Let's take the whole world. How many disagreements are there in the world about who God is? A lot. Some don't even believe. Some do believe. And what they do believe is, I mean, it's all over the place. Yes? How about the, just in the church, how many different beliefs are there? Good night. How does God become the God over the whole earth? If he showed up and he said, this is exactly everything that I said is true and everything that I wrote is right, and here I am, it would be irrefutable over the entire planet. Correct? Now, it doesn't mean that everyone goes that way. I would love to believe that that was true, but the Bible doesn't teach that. People will be given a choice. But the whole earth will know that he was God. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Does that mean everyone comes into the kingdom? No. It means that whether they agree or disagree, they will have to acknowledge he was God. Zechariah 14, 16, the Bible says the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem, remember that battle that God himself enters into, will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, I'm, I'm out of time, so I'm going to actually end my message here. I'm going to do these two things. If you'd like to hear the last part of my message, I get into where I think we are in space and time for these events happening. If you'd like to hear my opinion about that, based on what I think the scripture says, then here's what you could do. Go to our website. By, I, Marcus, uh, uh, it'd be up tomorrow morning. Is that what Marcus said? Monday morning. So by tomorrow morning, the message, yesterday I was able to teach the whole message. If you'd like to hear the end of it, go to the website tomorrow morning. You can listen to just the end of the message. If you want to download the whole thing again and listen to it, you're free to do that. And it is free. It doesn't cost you anything. But you can hear where I think we are in space and time. You might find that interesting. But here's where I'm going to end my message and real quick, here's what the Bible says, that at that time, all the nations of the earth will go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Israel has three major feasts. Pentecost, Tabernacles. Does anybody remember the third one? Passover. Very good. Pentecost, Tabernacles, and Passover. In the Jewish calendar, coming into the Great Day of Atonement, these are the high holy days in the fall, you have the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets, the trumpet would sound in the nation of Israel. Observant Jews would begin to look inward into themselves. If you spent 24 hours looking at all the junk in your life, do you think you might be depressed? No, on, no be honest. If you, really, if you really did it. Now, if you're like, I would love to look inward for 24 hours because I'm... <laughs> but if you really looked at all the crud in your life, would it lead you to a place of thinking, I need a Savior? That's the Feast of Trumpets. The day after the Feast of Trumpets is the Day of Atonement. So a person has been in repentance. Then God offers forgiveness. And then the Feast of Tabernacles begins the day after the Day of Atonement. Now the Feast of Tabernacles is an eight-day feast. It's the only eight-day feast in the Bible. Please follow me on this. Just, this is really cool. 
Here's the problem with an eight-day feast. Our calendar is based on how many days in a week. So how do you have an eight-day event in a seven-day week? In the book of Revelations, the Bible says that when Jesus comes, he, he will institute a day like no other, a day without end. The Feast of Tabernacles was supposed to be you repented, God forgave you, now celebrate like people who are forgiven. Don't dwell on all of your sin. Don't look at all of your shortcomings. Don't think about all the things that are wrong. Think about everything that's right, how much God loves you, how much he cares for you, what he's done for you, and celebrate like people who are forgiven. You know, the world stole party from the church. I don't mean that flippantly. We were supposed to be the ones full of joy in life. We were supposed to be the ones. Church today looks more like the frozen chosen than it does look like the party that God wanted it to be. I heard a Presbyterian pastor tell his congregation this week, and this was a Presbyterian pastor who said it, not me. Presbyterian pastor said this. He goes, some of you chose this denomination because it was the least likely place you would be hugged. <laughs> Presbyterian, right there. <laughs> So what does that have to do with anything? What he was trying to tell his people is, you're st where's the joy that's supposed to be in the church? Where's the life that's supposed to be in the church? Where's the love that's supposed to Where's the heat? Where we're supposed to be hot for God, not lukewarm and not cold, hot for Him. Amen. Passionate for Him. Amen. On fire and excited about... I got a question for you. Is God a concept or a person? He's a person. Therefore, he describes and prescribes certain ways that we're supposed to worship him. If he's a concept, we can debate how we worship him. But if he's a person, he gets to choose it. We're supposed to joyfully shout to God. We're supposed to call out loud who he is. He is enthroned on our praises. But I would just say to you that many of us have grown up with a custom that we're comfortable with. God's not comfortable with it. And maybe the church needs to ask God, what are you comfortable with, not what I'm comfortable with? Maybe we need to break out of something that we are stuck in. And if you go, I am not doing that, I would love to see your face when you get to heaven. Because you will be shocked at what you see, and then I'll be shocked by what you do. Because I bet you don't stand there going, well, I just am not into the celebration. I bet you might just dance on that day. You might get excited. You might see a few things that bust you out of, I just, you know, I'm, I, I, we, we were Baptists. And we, my dad was a Baptist. My grandfather was a Baptist. We are ba Baptists don't do those things. Well, you're not in a Baptist church right now. And I'm not a Baptist, although I baptize people. The eight-day feast. Hold on. Yeah, John the Baptist. The eight-day feast. Let me finish my message. Let me finish my message. You can go home and debate this amongst yourselves, laugh, ha ha, I'm tired. Let me finish this. The eight-day feast. I, Jesus fulfilled, here's what he said, I didn't come to do away with the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill every inch of the law. He kept a Jewish calendar, he kept a Jewish diet, he kept a Jewish system of worship. You know this, don't you? He didn't come to establish a new religion called Christianity. He came to bring God's original intention for creation. How he created the earth is how it will all come back in the end. His original intention will be fulfilled. 
The eighth day, the reason the Feast of Tabernacles is an eighth day celebration, that eighth day is a day that doesn't exist on our calendar today, but when Jesus returns, we add a day without end to the calendar. We enter into a new season and a new time, and we will celebrate for eternity with our Savior what He's done for us. You may not get party now, but you'll get party then. You may not get celebration right now. You may be uptight. You may be nervous after everything I've said. You may be sitting there thinking, I've got to get home and take tranquilizers. It does not matter. You will when you get there. You will shout, and you will be excited. And I would just say to you now, why wait till then? Why not celebrate like forgiven people right now? Why not hold on to the very thing that Jesus died to give the church? Joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. How many times do you leave church burnt out and tired? Don't you want to leave here full of strength? So like, preacher, give us strength. I'm a man. I cannot give you strength. God gives us strength. Dave. We don't go to church because we like a preacher. That's a mistake. It's okay to like the preacher. But that's not the reason we go because we love Jesus. Folks, this is the most eclectic church in the area. It's probably the second biggest Catholic church in the area. take that group of people and unite them over a cause. There's only one cause we can all unite over. Jesus. So I don't care what your background is. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you know. How about this? Let's agree we're going to love Jesus together. Let's agree that we're going to go forward in pursuing Jesus. Agreed? No matter where we come from, it is the one thing we can all agree on. Let's love Jesus. Let's go after him. God can sort out details. I don't know how to figure out all the details, but I can do this can tell you how wonderful he is and give you the opportunity to touch him and let you know he wants to touch you right now. So our worship team will come and they'll close out this service right now. We'll spend a few minutes taking communion. There are candles up here if you want to use them for prayer, if that's part of your background. If you want to use the altar, if you want to just stay in your seat, if you want to stand, you want, however you want to express it. If you need prayer, people in the back wearing the lanyards that say prayer, you can go get prayer. However you want to try to engage God, we offer many on-ramps to do that. I just want you to touch him before you leave here today. Maybe the place this message is most significant would be on that issue that I said, you're not going to get this with your head, you're going to have to get it with your heart. It's not that you check your brain at the door, but your brain's not going to be smart enough to know all these things or figure all these things out. The Holy Spirit's got to teach your heart. Here's